we can keep the lights down if you guys can keep playing music for a minute. We had a great service this morning at 9, and um, the minute that service was over, there was this overwhelming sense of restlessness that, um, that I started to sense uh, amongst those coming in for this service. I watched like two hot chocolates spill in the lobby. Brandon Johnson fell and slipped in it. Sorry, Brandon. Um, I saw, I mean, literally, I saw so many people like drop phones and drop things and just an overwhelming sense of restlessness. And have you ever drank just way, way, way too much caffeine? You ever drank way too much caffeine? And you actually feel like, almost like you can hear a buzz. And it's like, do you hear that buzz? No, it's, that's just all the caffeine that you drank. You ever accidentally stuck your finger in a light socket before? You get shocked. There, that's a sense of restlessness. I was talking with um, one of our leaders this morning. They said they, they just could not sleep last night. And so I just want to acknowledge, point out this, this sense of restlessness. And as, as I do, I was thinking of um, Jesus in the boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And there was this great storm that came up and Jesus was asleep on the boat and his disciples wake him up. And it says, and he, he spoke to the wind and the waves. And, and here's the word that he spoke. And so here's what I'd like you to do. If, if you came in today restless, do, do something to like touch the point of restlessness in your body this morning. It might seem kind of weird, but I don't think it's that weird actually. Just touch the place of restlessness. For me, it's usually like in my chest. Some of you actually have like literal restless leg syndrome. You feel that in your legs. Wherever, wherever restlessness is in your body right now, if you came in just over tense, over over restless, if that is a thing, or just came in feeling just way, way too hyped in your mind and you can't close your mind off. Would you, would you just um, receive peace this morning? This is what Jesus said to the wind and the waves. He said this, and pay attention. He said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. And he spoke to the winds and the waves, and it says, and the winds stop and the waves ceased. And this is what the Bible records. It says, there was a great calm, is what it says. Not there was a great storm or there was great stress, but there was a great calm. So peace, be still. In Jesus' name, receive peace in Jesus' name. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. God gives peace that passes all understanding. Peace be still in Jesus' name. The Lord put on my heart as people were coming in today that not only is this spirit, if you will, of restlessness, but some of you just came in really desperate today, desperate for a touch from God, desperate for direction in your life. And I was reminded of the woman who, who bursted in to a meal and distracted everyone uh, to pour out her, her expensive fragrance at the feet of Jesus. I was reminded of Mary Magdalene, who instead of laboring in the kitchen, 
Um, she just sat and worshiped at the feet of Jesus. And if you came in just absolutely desperate for a touch from God this morning, would you just stand to your feet? If that's you, say, I'm desperate. I need to hear from God today. Anybody at all? Would you just put your hands on the person? Somebody standing by you, would you just lean over and pray for them? Or look around. See if you see anybody that's desperate. There's some people in the very back that are desperate for God. Somebody over here. Would you surround them with prayer? Anybody just stand up, follow, go to someone that's around you. Here desperate today for a touch from God. You came desperate. God's here to meet that need, whatever it is. It might not be met in the way that you think, but he wants you to know he sees your desperation. And there's still some people in the very back. If, if we could have somebody go out there, lay hands and pray for them. If you came in desperate today, just stand to your feet. We'll wait. God, there's people here desperate today. Uh, families that seem fractured. People that feel alone. Thank you for reminding them now they're not alone. They came here today desperate. And they needed something from you. Listen carefully. Here's what God's word said. Jesus said, if, if your son was hungry and asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? And the, the rhetorical answer to that question is no. He said, if you asked for bread, would you give him a stone? And the answer, again, is a resounding, absolutely not. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And really, that's the answer to your desperation today is the Spirit of God. So God, as we stand beside people praying for those who came in desperate today, God, you showed me that there's people here who are desperate, not because I'm nobody, but you wanted them to know they were somebody today. You wanted them to know they're seen, they're recognized, they're heard, that you know their desperation and you can meet their every need. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would meet that by the power of your spirit. We pray for families that are broken. Um, after the service today, would you come and chat with me if this is you? Because God just put on my heart, like there's a family that is absolutely fractured and, and God, God sees that and he, he feels your pain. But God, for families that are fractured, would you restore, would you reconcile, what it, whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, God, please, please step in and do something, Lord. We need you, we're desperate for you. God, for those in need, provide their needs. For those, those with, with health crisis or health confusion, God, would you be the answer? Would your Holy Spirit fill and bring peace now in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name, peace be still. Desperation met with the hands and in the arms of Jesus, in Jesus' name. You can sit down if you stood. Just one more word the Lord put on my heart, and the first was restlessness, and I want to, I want to keep fighting against restlessness. I want you to receive the peace of Christ this morning. But the other, the other word was overwhelmed. I had a dream two nights ago that I was, I was standing at the Oregon coast, and there was this seawall that some friends of mine were standing on, and they were absolutely overwhelmed by the waves. And some of you, the, the waves of life are very, very, very large. And, and you would actually, if you had to describe them, you'd call them a tsunami. 
And if you're overwhelmed with life right now, you've, you've got too many eggs in your basket, too many balls you're trying to juggle, the weight of your family is on you to a point that you need God and right now you feel overwhelmed. Would you stand to your feet if that's you? Say, I'm overwhelmed and I need a touch from God. You say, I'm overwhelmed, I need a touch from God. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Today I'm overwhelmed, I need a touch from God. Stand to your feet if that's you. You can't hold it by yourself. You can't carry all that weight on your own. You don't have to. If you're overwhelmed, stand to your feet. Would you look around, church, and see if there's somebody standing next to you and go and lay your hands on them? Please look around. If there's anybody standing up there standing because they need prayer. So get up out of your seat. Pray for someone. That's what it takes. Look for people who need prayer. We just sang this song, the overwhelming, reckless love of God, but... To some of you, that seems ridiculous because you're so overwhelmed. You don't know how you could ever receive that kind of love. Lord, we pray against a restless spirit that would try to distract us from what you want to give. We thank you for feeding those and providing for those who are desperate. God, we're nothing without you. We feel overwhelmed, overtaken. God, as I even spoke those words, I just, I just envisioned a fish swallowing someone alive. They just feel like they're completely overtaken and overwhelmed. We pray against any spirit that's coming against them to make them feel overwhelmed. We pray, Lord Jesus, for the sense of being overwhelmed, that it would be replaced by a sense of your overwhelming, reckless love. God, the burden of our children, the burden of our grandchildren, the burden of our sons and daughters-in-laws, the burden of the person we have to face tomorrow, the burden of the task that's at hand, the burden of an abusive spouse, the burden of alcoholism, break in Jesus' name, that overwhelming burden, may it be lifted in Jesus' name. God, we pray for the overwhelming sense of depression that it would break in the name of Jesus. The overwhelming sense of never getting ahead, never moving forward, our marriage never working, our kids never serving you. God, would you overwhelm us instead with your peace? Peace be still in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Receive today, receive from what, what God has for you. You can have a seat if you stood for prayer. I'm gonna speak from the word of God this morning, Daniel chapter six. Brandon, can you hang out there? And everybody, everybody else, you're good, thank you. Um, I wanna wrap up this Daniel series, but I don't, I don't wanna break what God's trying to do and so I'd like you to listen. You can keep the lights down too. I, I really want to eliminate any distraction. There's so much restlessness. Um, do you pray with me as, as we open God's word today? 
God, we thank you for meeting us here. We thank you for those, again, struggling with restlessness, struggling with the sense of being overwhelmed in desperation. God, thank you that you know, you hear, you listen, you see, you respond, you act, you break chains that bind us and hold us back. God, I wanna pray for those this morning who are cynical because they've been so hurt before, would you open their heart to trust again? Lord, I wanna pray for those who are critical, would you soften their heart to receive? God, your word is truth and as we look through it, let us be changed by it. God, we don't wanna look at your word and go away the same, we wanna be different. We wanna be rescued from ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brandon. Um, I want to just share a brief announcement with you um, as we're going into God's word. And again, stay in this attitude of prayer. Listen to what the Lord wants to speak. Um, but it, Easter is coming up in two weeks. And I know it snowed last night, but Easter is coming in, in two weeks. And so two weeks from today, April the 9th is Easter. And so we want to invite you to Easter. We have three services for Easter here at Free Church. Um, and those three service times are 830 10 and 11.30. So 8.30, 10 and 11.30, the services will be one hour, mostly focused on worship and celebration. We'll have a short message sharing the gospel, inviting people to receive Jesus. And we also have water baptisms um, that will be taking place. We've had some people ask which service will have water baptisms at and that will be all of them. So all three services will have water baptism available. You can sign up for that on our app. It's a great way to celebrate new life in Christ. And then we will also have kids um, programs at all services. So 8.30, 10, and 11.30, all three will have kids programs. And so bring your kids. And what I'd like to ask you to do, if, if you're listening to me share this announcement right now, please strongly consider coming to the 8.30 service um, as everybody likes to come to church at 10. And so um, if you could make some room at 10, that's when everybody will try to come. And so if you could come at 8.30, that would be fantastic. And if you hate mornings like I do, and you don't want to come at 8.30, could you please come at 11.30? Uh, I'd like to ask you, and if you absolutely have to come at 10, that's fine. But if you could come at 8.30 or 11.30, that would be very helpful. Um, so that's Easter. And then I want to let you know as well that if you are a man, we have um, a men's night that was coming up. It was originally going to be on April the 7th, but then I realized that April the 7th was Good Friday. I realized April the 7th was the day before our Easter egg hunt, and I realized that April the 7th was two days before Easter, and I thought to myself, that's a bad idea. And so we're going to have our men's night on April 28th. And so if you are a, um, a man and this is your home church, or if it's not, come and join us the 28th, 6 p.m. We're going to have dinner. We're going to have a short, encouraging, challenging message on fishing, and then we will um, break up into small groups. This week, I'm going to be praying about where we're going to have that men's night I feel like we're not supposed to have it here. So I'll let you know where that will be, but it will be on the 28th. And so make sure you have that on your calendar. And then finally, if you're a man and if you'd like to join some of the men from our church to go fishing, we're going to go deep sea fishing the Saturday before. So April 22nd, and we only have five spots left on a boat that we've chartered um, out of Newport. And so if you'd like to go deep sea fishing for a half a day, it's only $100. It is a lot of money, but for what it is, it's a great deal. It's $100. You need to have your fishing license, and you need to be prepared to tip the boat staff really well um, for cleaning out your disgusting rockfish. 
Um, so that is $100. Register on our app, but you do need to contact Uquina Bay Charters directly to let them know you'd like to reserve a spot. You can ask me afterwards. I can tell you what boat to ask for. It's also on our social media, but there's only a few spots left. <clears throat> and I think a couple of those even got taken up at the last service. So need to get in really quick. If you'd like to see your pastor get seasick, this is a great opportunity uh, to do that. I am going to go. I'm trusting in God to deliver me from my face turning green and the water turning green too. So those are my announcements. Um, Daniel chapter 6 is where we are. This is our seventh week in this series. We're going next week. We're going to have a Palm Sunday message. Um, one of our great leaders here, Dwayne Smiley, he's going to be bringing the message Sunday morning at 9 and 11. And then my son, Zion Trask, will be giving the word on Sunday night at the downtown service. And so we are excited for those guest speakers. And they're going to be sharing uh, God's word. And then the week after Easter, we're starting a series on our primary example of how to be a great person uh, in the Bible, a series on the, on the uh, person of Samson an amazing man of God uh, from the book of Judges. And not really, the guy's a mess. And so we'll look at how to not be a mess and how God can use us despite our messes. messes. We're going to look at the book of Sam, uh, not the book of Samson. He needs his own book, but the book of Judges um, and the story of Samson. Uh, but today we're going to wrap up with Daniel. A really brief recap is um, the series last week ended on October the 12th, 539 B.C. On that night, the Babylonian Empire threw their final party while they were actually being ransacked from the outside. The Persians came in, led by King Cyrus, and they overtook the city in a single night without much of a fight. Belshazzar, um, the crown prince of Babylon, was murdered, and the kingdom was handed over, it says in Daniel chapter 5, to Darius the Mede. We don't know exactly who Darius is. My personal opinion is Darius was a Babylonian name that King Cyrus gave himself, but we're not positive who Darius is. We also know that when Persia took over the, um, the Babylonian empire, that King Cyrus gave a decree for the Jews to return back to their homeland and at that decree, 50,000 of them returned, but many more stayed behind, including Daniel. And so we pick up this story today when Daniel is a man in his late 70s, probably pushing 80 years old. And King Cyrus is now ruling over Babylon. And again, we have this character named Darius. And it says in Daniel chapter 6, at the opening of the chapter, that King Darius divides the kingdom into 120 provinces. And over those 120 provinces, he appoints three, what we would define today as presidents, actually. He, he appoints three presidents over the, providence, the provinces. So each president would rule over 40 provinces. And Daniel happened to be one of these people. So Daniel is a, a, an Israelite. He is of the people of Judah. And here, Darius, who was a Mede, ruling the Persian Empire, um, allows this Jewish man who served under the Babylonian Empire to be one of the top three officials in the entire kingdom. And so, of these three officials, Darius decides to put Daniel in charge because it says, essentially, that the Spirit of God 
is in him. And so Darius puts Daniel in charge, and this makes the other men, not only the other two, but all of the other rulers, makes them jealous that Daniel is put in charge. And so they try to find some dirt on Daniel, as opposing forces always do. They're, they're looking for any dirt they can on Daniel, and the only dirt they can find on him is that he is like just too loyal to God. He, he's too committed to the laws of God. The men who are building a trap for Daniel, they declare. Like he, he just serves God too much. That's all we can find on him. This reminds me of Peter and John 500 years later as they would stand before Jewish officials who would bring charge against them for working in the name of Jesus. And it said the only thing they could find against Peter and John is that they had been with Jesus. If somebody's going to dig up dirt on you, how wonderful would it be that the dirt they dug up was that you were just too faithful. You were just too godly. You were just too in love with Jesus. And I know all of us have dirt in our past, but what if our goal would be that the only dirt that could be dug up was our devotion to God. And so that's all they can do. And so they're going to lay a trap for Daniel to King Darius. And we find that trap in Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. If only Admiral Akbar had been there, he could have declared and let everybody know it was a trap. But here they're about to fall into it. So it says that the men went up to Darius and they said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. 30 days of worship, 30 days of prayer, only to King Darius. This seems like there's a similar spirit of pride that still exists in this same land because it was Nebuchadnezzar decades before who would build this 90-foot statue and command that for the day of dedication, all people would bow down to him only. And here now an entirely different empire has taken over. A new emperor is in control and all prayers for 30 days are going to go to no other God but him. And so Darius is like, that's not such a bad idea. You know, one of the enemy's greatest traps and tactics for you, especially if you are a leader, is to put people in front of you that will puff you up and tell you how great you are, how wonderful you are, how you're the best at what you do. Always be careful about people like that. It's usually a trap. The same people that praise you often are the ones that will crucify you a couple of days later. So be careful. So he doesn't think it's that bad of an idea. And like Nebuchadnezzar, the consequence for not praying to Darius is death. This time it is death by lion instead of death by fire. Now, the 9 o'clock service was actually pretty lame about this, and they were like, Pastor, we're too holy to entertain such thoughts, but if you had to choose whether you were going to die in a fiery furnace or a lion's den, what would you choose? I choose fire every time. 
This fire's fast. It hurts if my cat bites me. I don't want to be bit by a lion. I don't want to be scratched by the lion. I don't, I'm allergic to cats. I want it to be quick and as painless as possible. And so it's interesting because 500 years later, followers of Jesus would be persecuted by lions, not in dens, but in arenas, as Christians would be fed to hungry lions. And so they say, make this law. And if you make this law, you can't change it. Now, that seems strange, but this was the way of the Medes and the Persians. When they made a law, it was set in stone, so to say. The king could change his mind. The king could change his edict, but then it would make them look bad, and it would cause them to not be trusted. And so to save face, they said, we just won't ever change our laws. And if you read the story of Esther that happens about 10 years after this story, you'll see the same kind of thing playing out. So what would Daniel do? Well, just like his three friends several decades before, Daniel wasn't about to pray to the king, let alone stop praying to God. And so Daniel prays to God anyways, and he doesn't only pray to God anyways, but he does it where everyone can see that he's praying. Daniel 6, verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Context. In 1 Kings, when Solomon dedicates the temple 500 years earlier, he says, if we ever get into trouble, God, and if we ever get exiled because of our disobedience, may we turn toward Jerusalem and this temple we have built and pray to you so that we will be forgiven and we can return. It's possible that's what Daniel is doing here. But either way, what matters is that this is something he had done regularly. And you might say, well, wait a minute, couldn't Daniel have just prayed in his heart? quietly to himself? And the answer is, yeah, he could have. You see, what's important that we note is that Daniel is not praying to be seen. He's just praying like he always has. Um, we, we took out uh, our dear future daughter-in-law, Abby, to dinner a couple of weeks ago, and we went to La Margarita, and, and my kids were all like, let's hold hands while we pray at the table. And I was like, people might see us. <laughs> How many of you have been like, we're holding hands? Whenever I go to my in-law's house, we're like, okay, let's pray for dinner. Let's hold hands. I'm like, who holds hands when they pray? Well, apparently good people do. <laughs> and so... How many of you have ever been with someone like, we're going to pray right here in front of everybody? And, and, and many of us have. And I've done that too. But what's important is that Daniel is not doing this to be seen. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 500 years later, when you pray, don't pray to be seen. So if you want to hold hands at La Margarita, so be it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Just don't do it to be seen. Do it because that's what God is leading you to do and because you want to interact with God. And so, yes, Daniel could have prayed quietly inside of his heart. But he wasn't willing to change his relationship with God. 
For Daniel to pray silently in his heart, for him, it would have been compromised because he wasn't going to change the way he always worshipped. He always prayed. He wasn't willing to compromise or change his relationship with God because of his relationship with people like Darius. He wasn't worried about his reputation, his safety. He actually wasn't even worried about his life because he knew he would die. You see, Daniel does the opposite of what the apostle Peter did 500 years later. He chose to stand out instead of fitting in, which would lead to his certain death where Peter chose to fit in instead of standing out. He denied Christ three times following his arrest in order to avoid embarrassment, in order to avoid possible persecution, and in order to avoid maybe death. But Daniel's like, I'll keep praising, I'll keep praying, I'll keep my relationship with God just as I always have, even if it costs me my life, which it sounds like it is going to. You see, so many of us hide our faith and we choose to keep our faith private. Your faith in Jesus was never meant to be personal. I always avoid using the phrase that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior because he's not. He's the Savior of the world. He came to die for the sins of the entire world. I get it. He wants a personal relationship with me, but God's plans are bigger than just me. And because God's plans are far bigger than I could ever dream and would never be focused on me, but focused on everybody he has created and he loves, your relationship with Jesus isn't personal. It's not meant to be kept quiet. It's not meant to be private. Well, I don't talk about my faith. I don't, well, then do you really love Jesus? It would be like saying, I'm going to go about my day and I will never talk about the fact that I'm married and I'm going to quit wearing a wedding ring because I don't want anybody to know that I'm married because my marriage is personal. We don't do it with marriage. Why do we do it with Jesus? The world tells you, no, 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 your your faith's personal. It's so crazy because on one hand, the world says, you be you. You talk about you. You talk about, you do your thing. You say your truth. There's an artist that that my wife and I follow that just released a new album, and, and she put a sermon by the pastor Judah Smith in her album, and all of her fans were like, whoa, she can't do that. We, we, we want her to be her and to do whatever she wants, but no, nah, we don't know about this whole emerging faith thing, and we really don't want to hear Judah Smith preaching about Jesus. That's too much for us. So which is it? Is it going to be you be you and proclaim your faith, or you be you and keep your faith silent and just shut up about it because it's personal? Your faith isn't personal. Daniel knew his faith was not personal, and he was willing to go to death for it. Many of us will keep our faith personal because we're afraid of offending someone. We're afraid of the risk of embarrassment. But what would you do today if you were told that you were not allowed to pray? What would you do today if you were told you could not share your faith? What if you were not allowed to own a Bible? What if you were told you were not allowed to go to church as a pastor? That could never happen. It's happening on dozens of countries on this planet today. And I believe the enemy tried to attempt it in March of 2020. You can't, you, you, you can't do this. What would you do? What would you do if you were told you cannot? What, what if doing such things, praying, having a Bible, going to church, sharing your faith, what if those things were labeled hate crimes, pastor, that couldn't happen? Take a look at Canada. Canada. 
What if these things were labeled hate crimes because of the content of the book our faith is based off of? What if you were forced to renounce Jesus Christ? And here's something that we are this close from happening. What if you were forced to affirm sin? How would you respond? Would you do like Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 and deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow Jesus? Or instead, would you deny Jesus, drop the cross and follow orders? What would you do? If you find yourself in such a position, are you more concerned about your physical life than you are your relationship with Christ? So these officials, they lay the trap for Daniel. They see him praying in the window and they go before Darius and they're like, Darius, didn't you make an injunction that if anyone praised anyone except for you for 30 days, didn't you say that they would be thrown into a den of lions? Yeah, guys, I said that. And yeah, I'm a Mede. The law can't be changed. Well, did you know Daniel has broken this law. And you said that anyone who does this, they're going to be thrown into a den of lions and you've got to stick to your rules. You've got to stick to the law. You, you, no, 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 no. Don't, you don't worry about your relationship with Daniel or Grace. No, no. You said it, King. And so if you said it, we're going to hold you to it. And Daniel's the guy. And so this is what King Darius said. Oh. Oh. Oh, Daniel. And it says he tries for an entire day to spare Daniel's life. But he's entrapped by his own law. He's entrapped by his own officials. Leaders, be careful who you surround yourself with. They could try to entrap you. He, he, was, he was bamboozled by his own authority he had put in place. He was caught in his own trap. And so in Daniel 6, verse 16, it says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought, and he was cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, and I, I love this. He, he's like, I want to save your life, but I'd rather save face. Think about that for a minute. How many of us are more concerned about saving face than saving lives? You say, well, pastor, I've never been faced with a decision to throw someone into a lion's den. No, but you've been faced with a decision to share the gospel with someone. And would you rather save face or save a life? And so he's like, I'd like to save you. And so this is what he says, ironically. He says, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you, Daniel. Thanks, king. <laughs> it's like, you just literally threw me in a lion's den and you're, you're hoping I don't get eaten? So a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. This sounds a lot like Jesus being buried in a tomb, actually. Sealed where no one could rescue him. So the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. He's got anxiety over this decision. It looks like Darius legitimately cares for Daniel. It's implied there's a relationship, that they're friends. At minimum, he relies on him to help lead the country. And so he cares for Daniel. It's obvious that Darius 
is starting to be convicted by his actions and maybe even seems to have faith growing in Daniel's God. Darius has better faith than most of us have here, and he's a pagan. He just threw Daniel in a lion's den, and he's starting to have faith that God could protect Daniel, who he just sentenced to death from the lions. Most of us don't even have faith for our day to day. But Darius, the pagan king, has a lot of faith for Daniel. And the Bible says that Darius was unable to sleep because of the lions. But guess who slept really good that night? Daniel did. At break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, I love Darius. It says, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And this is what he said. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? He wants to believe. He can't even look to see. He's like, I can't even look. Oh, Daniel, are you alive? Daniel, please answer me. And Daniel says, sup, king? No, not really. He actually says, oh, king, live forever. I'm just down here chilling with the lions, sleeping good all night long. They know my sleep number, and this is the best sleep I've ever had. How many of you like to sleep with, with your pets? The superior pets, the dogs. How many of you like to sleep with dogs? Imagine like a bed of puppies, just like just there to snuggle you all night. How amazing would that be? Some of you are horrible people and you're like, I actually would like that with cats. Like, you're, no. I, I imagine when Darius opens up, he opens up the seal, like instead of just hearing like roars and, and the crunching of Daniel's bones, he just hears like purring of cats down below. He's just down there sleeping with the lions. I don't suggest that, sleeping with lions. He wants to believe. So Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before God. I was found blameless before you, and I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. God sent his angel. Interesting that the same phrase is used for the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the one who looked like the son of the gods, the fourth man in the fire that Nebuchadnezzar decades before said, God's angel. And here Daniel says, God sent his angel. Well, usually in the Old Testament, this angel of the Lord, many Theologians, as I do myself, believe that this very likely could have been, possibly have been, the pre-incarnate God the Son, Jesus Christ, before his 
incarnation and virgin birth, there to rescue Daniel in the lion's den. Whether it was Jesus or not, either way, this angel sent into the den was a physical representation of the manifest presence of God who comes into the den to spare Daniel. And it says when he comes out, not a mark is on him. Just like the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't even smell like smoke. I like to believe that when Daniel comes out wearing his black velvet robe, he doesn't even have cat hair on him when he comes up. He doesn't even smell like cat pee. He doesn't even have scratches from the cat. The cat didn't even bite him. He's just snuggling with lions all night in the den. Now this story of Daniel in Daniel chapter one, it opens up with Nebuchadnezzar changing Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. And Belteshazzar is the very manly name which means, oh lady, save the king. But Daniel's name, his Hebrew name, Daniel meant, God is my judge. The story starts with the enemy trying to steal his name, replacing it with a new name, giving credit to a God that is no God at all, to save a king that is truly not the king of the universe. And so Daniel is reclaiming his name here at the end of this story because his name means God is my judge. And he says, I am found blameless before God. I am found blameless before you and I have done no harm. God is my judge. Verse 24, and the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel they were brought and cast into the den of lions. This is a common theme in the Persian Empire, that if someone sets up a trap and they were in the wrong, and the trap that was laid was for someone who was innocent, those who laid the trap would be put to death in the trap. And we see that again about a decade later with the story of Esther, when Haman sets up a noose to hang Esther's uncle on, and when, it find, when the king, Xerxes, finds out that it was a trap laid by Haman, he was hung on his own noose. So this takes place here. The king declares that the trap that was laid was unjust, and so he throws the men into the den Oh, and P.S., their kids and their wives, too. What the heck? <laughs> How many of you have ever been really upset with your husband for doing something stupid before? How many of you kids have ever saw something your dad did and was like, that ah, probably wasn't the best idea? It probably never got you thrown into a lion's den. But this is what happens. You see, you say, how could, oh, how could these men do this to Daniel? These men led to the death of their own wives and children. And in case you were like, well, what happened to them when they were thrown in? And, and the Bible's like, we got you on that. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Jeez, God, did you have to have that in there? Imagine the sound for a minute. No, I'm, ki I'm kidding. Just of the crackling bones. 
Okay. It's in the Bible. God can close the mouths of lions. The same God can open the mouths of lions. You reap what you sow. So what would Darius do to end this story? Well, he, like we usually do, just writes a song. Like Nebuchadnezzar is like, I got a song. Like Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman, like, I, I just got this song on my heart. Like Zac Efron in High School Musical, bless his heart. Just, I got a song. And so King Darius, he says, he writes to everyone and he says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Song breaks out, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and he works wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. The story literally ends in a song that declares the two points of the entire book that God sovereignly orchestrates human history despite the actions and the sins of mankind in order to bring about his will, which he is working out for the universe. And you, like Daniel, who was saved by the lions, are able to live for God in an ungodly world. You see, it's no mistake that the story also ends with Daniel in a lion's den because it proves as this beautiful illustration of Daniel living in a lion's den for the past 70 years. The lion's den of this ungodly culture of Babylon and God is able to rescue him. And even if we get thrown in the fire, and even if we get thrown to the lions, God will be with us and he is able to rescue us. And if he doesn't rescue us in this life, we'll be rescued in what we would call the life to come. And here's the final verse of the story of Daniel. And again, we're not reading the final chapters that are the prophecy that's taking place during this time. That would take us years, but it's the end of the story. Verse 28 says this, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He prospered. He made it. He made it through all the succession of kings. The whole thing about Darius and Cyrus, there's some debate again. Is this the same person? We don't know. There's no time to get into that. But the point is, Daniel did live for God in an ungodly world. It's possible. It's possible to live for God in an ungodly world. And Daniel would die an old man having lived for God in an ungodly world in extraordinary ways. And Daniel would die an old man having lived a pretty incredible life. A pretty adventurous life, to say the least. I would say even a successful life. But ultimately, it was a life of faith. And Daniel would die just as he lived in exile. He never went back to Jerusalem. He died like he lived in exile in Babylon. And he would die and be buried in the very place that he was this amazing shining light for God in the darkness in the spirits of Babylon and Persia. 
and there he'd be buried, and there he is to this day. So that's the story. There's so many lessons to learn, and they were declared in that song, but we can't close out this sermon without just a reflection of a lesson we can learn from the lion's den itself. These stories preach themselves, but here's what the Lord put in my heart to end this entire series with. How many of you would say, I actually like lions? Lions are a very beautiful animal. They are, right? They're beautiful. I would like to hug a lion. Lions are amazing creatures. They're, they're brilliant. Their males really know how to relax. Their women really know how to prepare a meal. <laughs> Their kids really know how to play. Lions are amazing. When you think about lions, what do you think about? For lions, I think about poor, um, and I always get their names wrong, but I think Siegfried and Roy, the magicians in Las Vegas, they're like, we got a great idea for a show. Let's get the most dangerous animals on earth and just play with them like crazy and let them live in our mansion and see how it goes. It didn't go real well. Some of you are like, we just really love the Tiger King, Pastor. And we really love this guy, Doc Antle, who ran a cult and an animal park in his house in Virginia. And, and they just really flourished and thrived with all the big cats that they lived around. Like, how many of you are like, that's my people? Nobody, okay. Lions are fascinating. I was, I was watching a video this week of this woman at the Bronx Zoo that she was like, I think it's a good idea to jump into the lion's den and to call the lion over like it's a kitten. Lady, that's dumb. She survived. Amazingly. You see, God doesn't promise us while we are living in exile, he doesn't promise us a life without trouble. Jesus promises us the exact opposite. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. So many Christians live their life shocked when tribulation comes their way. And because bad preachers and bad churches have taught them that if a physical ailment, if a financial hardship, if relational trouble comes their way, it's because they didn't have enough faith. That's BS. Oftentimes, those who have the strongest faith will face the strongest tribulation. I hated to say that out loud because it's true. How many of you want big faith because you want big tribulation? You see, if I walked just like a mile to the south of our campus today, there is a chance, it's small, but there is a chance that I could be confronted by a mountain lion. We have them all over our city, actually. And if I see the mountain lion coming at me, and if it starts running toward me, I probably will say, lion, you stop in the name of Jesus most high, the lion of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> and the lion still might eat me. And God is still good. 
you and I are not promised a life without lion attacks. And it seems ridiculous except the hundreds, if not thousands of Christians that were thrown into arenas with lions, they all knew the story of Daniel. And they all got eaten. Where was God? Oh, he was right there alongside of them. And he rescued them. Not in this, but in this. And they're, they're with him today. And one day... Their bodies, which were broken and eaten by lions, will resurrect from the grave. And the dead in Christ, when they hear the trumpet, the sound of a shout, and the Lord returns like he ascended in the clouds, they'll be the first to be resurrected in a glorified body. So God didn't save their sinful body, which was going to die anyways but he's rescuing their body for eternity right now. And his, their spirit is with Jesus in paradise right now. Say, well, pastor, should we be worried about lions when we leave today? Oh, no, you shouldn't. Here's my point. God may not shut the mouths of physical lions, but he will shut the mouth of, of our enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil, the demonic forces of evil are incredibly real. And you and I will face attack from the enemy in our lives and probably all of us will today. This is real stuff. Peter says, be sober-minded. Be alert, guys. Pay attention. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like this roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. You and I hopefully will never come into contact. We'll never come face to face with an actual lion. But we battle daily against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness and over spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The devil, the demonic, and the spiritual realm is real. They seek to kill they seek to steal, they seek to destroy, and they seek to devour. And we must submit ourselves to God. And we must resist the devil. And when we resist the devil, the devil must flee from us. It's our inheritance. It's our promise as sons and daughters of God. That if we would be aware, if we would watch, if we would be sober-minded, if we would be filled with the Spirit of God, if we would submit ourselves to God, when those lions come against us, 
their mouths must shut. But in order for their mouths to shut, you've got to open yours. And when you open your mouth, the only valuable word that you will mutter is a name. And it's the name that is above every name. It is a name that there has been no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. It is the name of, if you would confess with your mouth, it is the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus. God has given us authority as Christians to cast out demons. It says they're subject to his name. God is actually, Jesus said he has given us authority over, and it says, Jesus quotes, all the power of the enemy. And he says, and nothing will hurt you. He doesn't mean lions won't hurt you. He means the enemy cannot sink his teeth into you if you belong to him. He can't. You may be attacked. You may be persecuted. You may be tormented. But the devil, that roaring lion, cannot take your real life because it's firmly held in the grips of both the Son and the Father, and no one can snatch you from his hand, especially nor height, nor depth, nor principality, nor any other thing could ever separate us from the love of God. So church, some of us, just go around and about our lives like the enemy is not real, but he's very real. And because we don't recognize he's real, we oftentimes blame people for things the enemy is doing to us. I think more than that, we blame ourselves for things the enemy is doing to us. And by the way, I'll put it out there very strongly, that spirit of restlessness that was here earlier, that was the enemy. It just was, period. And we had to stop and say, no. No, leave in Jesus' name. Your desperation, you're, you're overwhelmed, that's not the enemy. But, but that spirit of restlessness, it was a spirit. And it has to flee in the name of Jesus. So be sober-minded. I just think that that spirit of restlessness made Brandon slip on the floor. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon. Um, be sober-minded. Be discerning, be watchful, be aware. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Well, if I can get this close to sin, I'll be good. No, you've just given the devil a foothold. If I just keep everything to myself and never release it to God, I'll be all right. No, you won't. Do not give the devil an opportunity in fact, put on the whole armor of God. Matt, what morning did you text me on Thursday morning? Was that you that texted me? Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, Matt, Matt texted me this week, and I was up all night restless, battling, doubting. And he, he, he sent me a text early in the morning, put on the full armor of God so you could stand against all the schemes of the devil. And I'm like, 
Thank you, God. And thank you, Matt, for that too. <laughs> Matt didn't know. It's not about Matt. It's not, it's not about me calling out people who are desperate, who are over him. That's about God proving himself, saying, I'm here. I got you. You're all right. I'm in the den with you. It's going to be all right. You and I in this ungodly world, it's like we're living in a den with lions. And if we are aware of that, if we stand our ground, if we fight, those lions can't hurt us. And here's just my little thought I had this morning, and this will be it. Ryan, come on up and lead us in the song. I, I can't ignore the fact that it was the king that took Daniel out of the den with lions. Did you, did you notice that? Like, literally, the king took him out. And, and it may seem as though we are living in an ungodly world that's like a lion's den, which it is. But no earthly king is coming to rescue us. Darius can't do a thing in that realm. But the king of kings can. And Jesus, the king, will rescue us wholly, completely, fully from the lions. They're living amongst us now. But their mouths are shut. And they're toothless against the name of Jesus. And if we can be patient, if we can stand firm after we've done everything to stand, if we can put on the armor of God, if we can not give the devil a foothold, if we can submit ourselves to God, if we can be filled continuously with the Spirit, which in Christ we all can, the King is rescuing us. I don't even want to say the King will rescue us because the King is rescuing us. He's rescued our soul, and one day he'll rescue our body. The King is rescuing us. The king is coming. He's come. He's here right now by the power of the spirit and he's coming again. And he'll rescue us from the lions. Can you bow your heads? has the thief tried to kill in your life? If you let him, he's really good at killing joy. What has the thief killed or tried to kill in your life? Here's the good news about anything that the thief has killed. It can be resurrected. It can be resurrected. And we'll be done in just a minute. Ryan's going to sing. Isaiah's going to come and dismiss. But if the enemy has killed something in your life and you need it brought back, would you just come, come up here to the altar? And while we sing, we're going to pray for you. But would you stand to your feet right now and say, the enemy's killed something in my life. He's, he's killed my joy. He's killed my desire to live. 
He's maybe even tried to kill me physically. And if the thief has come and killed something in your life, again, just come up for prayer. And if you say, not me, pastor, that's cool. But I have enough faith to know that God can resurrect it to ask you to come and receive prayer for it. If the thief has killed something, let's pray that God will resurrect it. Step out in faith. The thief comes to kill, he comes to steal. What has the thief stolen from you? I know for certain the thief has stolen some of your purpose. If the thief has stolen something from you and you're crying out for justice and you want it to be restored, would you come and receive prayer? I just had the most bizarre thought. Hear me out. The thief, this is going to sound wild. The thief can steal your virginity. And some of you want to stay whole and pure and you want to be able to offer virginity to your spouse. And you might say, well, the thief stole that from me. God can resurrect it. God can make you whole. God loves you despite what the enemy took from you. And you can be made free from that. And you can still share wonderful intimacy with your spouse someday. It may sound crazy, but God wanted one of you to hear that today. What has he killed? What has he stole? And then finally, the thief comes to destroy, to devour. What has he devoured in your life? What has he destroyed? What has the thief destroyed? Some of you think the thief has destroyed your marriage. Maybe not. Take it back. Some of you think the thief has destroyed your ministry, devoured your ministry. You'll never share the gospel again. You'll never speak again. You'll never serve again because of what you, no, 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 no. I'm free in Christ. Some of you think the thief has stolen your calling and destroyed your ministry. I want you to know that calling is something that you hold on tightly to. For some of you that you feel the thief has devoured something, the Lord is gonna restore it. Let him, let him restore it. Let him surprise you. Let him shock you with what he wants to give back. The things that have been stolen, they're, they're returning. What the enemy meant for harm, God, God meant it for good. You're not too old, it's not too late. You haven't gone too far. You haven't messed up too bad. You can always come home. So God, we thank you for this word today. Thank you for these things. Thank you for freedom. God, we stand against the enemy and any of his attacks to steal, to kill, to destroy, to devour. And God, may you rebuke any unclean spirit. May you rebuke any spirit of sickness or infirmity. Would you rebuke that same spirit of restlessness that tried to stop us from moving forward this morning? 
Would you rebuke the devourer attempting right now to devour marriage? Would you rebuke the thief who comes to steal our children's identity? Would you resurrect? Would you return? Would you make whole in Jesus' name? Would you stand? We're going to sing. And if you'd like prayer this morning, come on up as we sing. And we'll dismiss you here in a moment.